I'm going to read this morning and uh, pray before John comes to speak. Sorry, I let the rowdies back in first. Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you as your people who have been chosen for your pleasure. And Father, we come before you with a heart of just all of who you are. And we want to worship you and we want to give you the glory that you are due. And Father, we don't want to come lightly to the opening of your word because it's truth and it's your truth. And Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to understand. To understand what we are about to hear but to understand that you love us, that you don't tolerate us, that you love us. And everything that has come into this room this morning, you are aware of. And this truth is gonna be spoken into all of that. And that's what this is, your truth. And Father, we know that the truth of who you are is what our world needs to hear. And Father, this morning we pray for our brothers and sisters meeting across this world. May all the glory be yours, Jesus. And Father, we pray for people who, in our families, in this community, in our lives, Father, that don't know the truth of who you are and the freedom that you have bought for us. Father, I pray that your gospel will continue to grow in this place. 
and the people in this town will come to faith. And Father, we won't take for granted what we get to feed on here and then that it end at the door. But Father, I pray what we learn today will soak and we will live it in the lives of other people. Father, we ask that you will, yeah, that we will just be so aware of who you are this morning, of your presence with us. May we be just yeah, craving and hungering for it. We just pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Emily. Morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, we are still in our series of the Beatitudes. Uh, if you've been with us through this series, you'll know where we are. But this morning, we are coming to uh, Blessed are the Merciful. Now, you know the way I like a good song lyric, and I looked up like songs that are entitled Mercy, and I came up with, there was like 44 songs with the title Mercy. Uh, and I, I looked at the lyrics, because I like to give you a good lyric, but I looked at the lyric of, if anybody knows the, the song Mercy from Duffy, anybody, no, anybody familiar? No? Right, okay. I looked at the lyrics, and I'm not even going to subject you to them. That, like, literally. Hit the beat and take it to the verse now. That, no, right, I'm not doing it. I'm, not, I'm just not doing it. I'm not, I'm not even going to do that this morning. So, we are looking at the merciful this morning. The first three Beatitudes that we covered, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but, but often they're known as the negative Beatitudes. The first three Beatitudes we've covered are called the negative Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are the meek, the humble. All of those are really speaking about our disposition before God. Uh, and then last week we looked at, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we talked, we've talked over the last three weeks about the progression of these Beatitudes. And, and the, the reason why the first three are called the negative Beatitudes, you can, you, can, you can imagine, are blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who realize they're spiritually bankrupt, realize they've nothing to bring to God. That's that one. Blessed are uh, those who mourn over that fact, mourn over their sin, mourn over the fact that they have nothing to bring to God. Uh, blessed are the meek, we talked about that, and those who take their hands off, realizing that they have nothing to bring, mourning, and then they take their hands off, and then they hunger and thirst for righteousness. So you can see a clear progression of the first three leading into the fourth, and then we're into the fifth. And so the first three are called the negative. There's this transition one last week, and then the Beatitudes sort of change direction. They change direction. One commentator said this, the first half emphasizes the neediness of God's children. And then the second half, we turn our attention to those in need. The first half emphasizes the neediness of God's children, and then the second half, we turn our attention to those in need. How do God's children act towards those in need? And you can see the clear sort of progression that we're on. The second half of the Beatitudes are doing what Paul would say in his language, putting on the new self. 
that's what we're, that's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. So what we've, what we've witnessed is this journey of faith. And we need to remember the context here of, of where Jesus is doing this teaching in his journey, in his ministry. We've, we've talked about it over the last few weeks, but we need to remember the context because it's very, very important. This is very, very early on in Jesus' ministry. He has literally just called the disciples to himself. He has taken them up on the mountainside and he is teaching them what the kingdom of God looks like. So this is very early on in the, in the formative moments of the disciples' lives. In the formative moment of the disciples, like, this is how we're going to live. These are the words that he teaches them. And it's a journey. And you can see it very clearly. Blessed are you here, parents' birth. Blessed are you. You know you have nothing. You know you have nothing to bring here. Blessed are you when you see that and you mourn over that fact. Blessed are you who then turn to God, realizing you have nothing and come to Him. Once you do that, like to put it in old school language, once you realize you have nothing to bring, you turn to God in faith and say, it's all yours. You're the only thing I have. You're the only one that can rescue me out of this mire pit that I'm in. You're spiritually bankrupt. Old school language, that is the point of salvation. That is the point of being saved, right? Then there's a shift. What do you do now? How do you treat people? What way are you supposed to act to those who are in need? And that's what we're looking at today. Blessed are the merciful. As I say, we need to remind ourselves, this is formative language for the disciples. We need to put ourselves in that place. We need to put ourselves in the place of the first disciples and think they're hearing this stuff for the first time about what the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus is teaching them what the kingdom of God looks like and what kingdom of, uh, our citizens of the kingdom, how they will act. As I said in previous weeks, this is the manifesto. We're getting very close to the elections again. Yay. Uh, this is the manifesto, Jesus' manifesto for the kingdom. This is what it's going to look like. Blessed are the merciful. One of the first things that comes out of Jesus' mouth when he talks about how a believer, how a follower of Jesus should walk, is blessed are the merciful. Now, question you should be asking immediately, what does mercy mean? What does it mean to be merciful? Well, firstly, John Stott says that if you look at the word across uh, look at the word mercy across the Bible, let you see it has potentially two definitions. There's two big biblical principles when it comes to mercy. At a minimum, Stott says, at a minimum, it means extending forgiveness to other people. At a minimum. In, a, in the same way that God extends mercy to sinners, mercy for us means at a minimum extending forgiveness to people who have wronged us. He extends, we'll get into this more in a moment, but he extends mercy to us and forgiveness to us, and we extend that out then. But mercy in the Bible, and especially in Matthew, means more than that. 
Mercy in the Bible, and especially in Matthew, means more than that. It means not only extending forgiveness, but also meeting human needs. It means not only extending forgiveness, but meeting human needs through good works. Meeting a person's felt needs through good work. So the question then comes when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, which one is he referring to? Is he referring to, blessed are you when you extend forgiveness, or blessed are you when you show acts of mercy, acts of kindness, good works to other people? I would contend it's probably a bit of both. It's probably both. But if you look at the word mercy throughout the book of Matthew, it does make it a bit more clear. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, in the same sermon, he's talking, to, he's talking in, the same very, in the very same sermon, he says to his disciples, when you, verse six, or chapter 6, verse 2, he says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You're probably all familiar with that saying. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And the ESV translate that as, when you give to the needy, literally it is one word, and the word is mercy. When you show mercy to the needy, in the Greek. It literally says, when you show mercy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It is one phrase. Because in the book of Matthew, the word mercy is almost exclusively meaning these acts of love and acts of compassion to those around us. And that's the context that we have here in Matthew. It comes up 12 more times in the Gospel of Matthew. This word mercy. Eleven of those, it is extremely clear that it is referring to showing compassion to someone who has a material felt need. So it's pretty clear that we're edging towards that when it comes to Jesus. When Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, that's where he's angling. Now, I would imagine your understanding and possibly my understanding until this week even has been Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those when, when, when someone does you wrong, you show them mercy. And you don't punish them. That would have been my sort of take up until even this week, maybe. But in study and in looking at this context and in looking at, at what Jesus says throughout the book of Matthew, it becomes very clear that that is not actually the, the primary meaning here in this context. Just as an aside now, and this is more a pastoral issue than it is anything else. I'm, not, I'm, I'm being your pastor now when I say this, not, not going into the theology. I referenced Matthew 6 there. About not letting your left hand or your right hand know what your left hand is doing when you extend these acts of mercy. About not letting your acts be shown. Jesus says that for a reason. Jesus says, don't tell anyone when you do extend these acts of mercy or kindness or compassion 
Don't let it be known because you lose your reward. Your reward is then when you get the pat on the back. When you hear, oh, they're a good lad. Didn't they do such and such? Oh, that was very... Stop telling people. Stop it. See, this, I, 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 the Beatitudes, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Jesus is saying, blessed are those. Content are those. It's not even a command as such. It's just blessed are those. This is the way to a, a content life. He doesn't say that when it comes to not letting your right left hand know what your right hand is doing. It is a command. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Stop telling people. Stop it. Right. Theologian head back on. Right. Leon Morris, the Reformed Baptist theologian. And I fit nicely into that. Just that, that's, that me and Leon were tight. Uh, this is about those whose natural bent because of salvation is to show mercy. Not just an occasional impulse, but it is showing habitual, merciful deeds because we have responded to God's love. That's who this is talking about. John Stott says, Mercy is compassion for people in need. This is to, he says, this is to be distinguished from the term grace. He says, grace extends pardon for sin and guilt and forgiveness. Mercy is the term in Matthew that deals with pain, misery, felt needs that sin has caused. Grace extends pardon, mercy gives relief. Grace extends pardon, mercy brings relief. And so that's what we're talking about when we think of this, blessed are the merciful. Right. So when we think about biblical mercy, what we see is probably it has two main elements. The two main elements are these. One, at a minimum, as Stott says, it is showing forgiveness to those who have offended us. But it is also, more probably, in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, it is more probably extending compassion and fulfilling needs. Right. Now, what we need to do is consider that second element of the scriptural, script, biblical definition of mercy. You see someone's need. And there's really three elements to this. And I'm going to explain the three elements in a moment. There are three main principles when it comes to this beatitude of mercy and being merciful. And the three essential elements are this. One, you see the need. You see the need. Two, you have compassion on the need. And three, you do something to fulfill the need. One, you see it. Two, you have compassion on it. Three, you do something about it. 
You see, this beatitude is incredibly practical. It's not, you know, sometimes when we think of theology and we think of the Bible and we think of Scripture, we think, oh, it's all head knowledge. It's all, it's, you know, it's too much for me. I can't think about it, blah, blah, blah. But this beatitude is incredibly practical in nature. And probably the best story, and this is where we're going to spend a wee bit of time today, probably the best story to illustrate this actual beatitude is the story of the Good Samaritan. It is the, the best application of this beatitude. I want to read the story of the Good Samaritan, and you'll, pro, you'll, you'll see it straight away. Right, let's go. Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Whatever is written in the law, how do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But, and here... Here's some of the best words in Scripture to describe what all of us do, right? But desiring to justify himself, the lawyer. Jesus gives him the answer, straight up, just not behind the door, just tells him. But desiring to justify himself, he says, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came towards where he was, and he saw him. He had compassion. There's the first two elements. He saw him and he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. There's that word again. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So what we have there is Jesus basically giving us this perfect illustration of this beatitude. Blessed are the merciful. Do you see what the Good Samaritan did? He saw him. He felt compassion. And then it says, he bandaged up his wounds. He poured oil and wine, put him on his animal and took him to the inn and made sure he was cared for, paid for it and said to the innkeeper, whatever you, whatever you spend, I'll, I'll give it to you. Which of these proved to be the neighbor? The Samaritan. And not to get too deep into the context here but of the, of the Good Samaritan, because that's not what we're, we're looking at today. But, but, and I know you probably know this, but Jews and Samaritans weren't the best of friends. It wasn't as if 
like, even, even, let's just take this room. It wasn't as if one of us walked down Uri Street and saw one of us having been beaten up and left half dead. And we said, right, okay, let's sort that. We'll take that and sort that out. And we'll, 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 we'll act on that. No. These two groups of people, the Jews and the Samaritans, hated each other. Hated. We think Catholics and Protestants don't like each other in this country. It ain't got nothing, nothing on the hatred that Jews had for Samaritans and the other way around. So figure that into this. Figure that into this story. And who was the one that showed mercy? The Samaritans. He saw him. He had compassion. Even just that in itself should, literally, should blow our heads. He had compassion and he did something about it. Right. The ingredients of mercy. For us to imitate Jesus in this quality of mercy, we must have, and hear me, we must have all three elements. All three elements to be Christ-like, to have genuine biblical mercy. First of all, we must see the need. We must see the need. This is a vital first step. And I know it might sound Captain Obvious, but it's not. To have this biblical quality of mercy, we must have open eyes to see the needs of those around us. Because to do something about it, we need to see it first. And if we look at the story of Jesus, if you look at the gospel, read the gospels. Jesus was walking around constantly with his eyes open to the need of those around him. He, we're, we're told over and over, he saw the multitudes. He saw them. He saw the young man. He saw the woman at the well. He saw the woman who had lost her son. He saw, he saw, we see it over and over again. Jesus saw. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept. Because they were, like a sheep, they were like sheep without a shepherd. He constantly had his eyes open for those who were in need. Too many of us, and I include myself, too many of us as God's children have to admit that we walk around most of the time with our head in the sand to the needs of of the world around us. Not really seeing. And if you don't see, there's no possibility that you will feel compassion. None. We need to ask God to give us eyes to see. And the reality is, folks, and I'm, this may sting a wee bit, but the reality is, oftentimes, I don't know why it's an all and culture thing or what it is, but oftentimes we look at those in need with a critical eye rather than a compassionate eye. We look at those who have need 
with a critical eye rather than a compassionate eye. How could they be in debt? Sure, they've got a 42-inch plasma screen TV. That's why they're in debt. Doesn't mean we don't help them and have compassion on them. Oh, but sure, they're on all the benefits of the day. Critical eye rather than a compassionate eye. Ours is not the judge. Ours is not the judge why people are in the situations that they're in. Ours is to see, to have compassion, and to do something about it. Blessed are the merciful. Sometimes we can have a critical eye. What if you see that person with the, like, listen, confession time. I'm as guilty as anybody of this. I, we, we did leaflet drops lately around North Island, and I live in Sleepy Valley. And I walked up around Sleepy Valley, and, and I thought to myself, Sleepy Valley's getting pretty rough, actually, compared to what it used to be. Why did I not cut that grass? Why did I not clean that up? Blah, blah, blah. I don't know why. Did I ask to go and clean it up? Did I ask to go and cut the grass? No. We don't know what's going on. But we need to pray that God will let us see. Stop judging. And see. And have compassion. Second of all, we must have compassion. For some of us, the problem is that we, it's not that we don't see. For some of us, we, we see problems all around us all the time. We see need around us all the time. We just don't care. We just don't give us stuff. But we need compassion. Look at the story again of the Samaritan. Again, two groups of people that hate each other. Look who, look who walks past. Jesus, I've only started watching it. I've started watching The Chosen. I don't know if that's a heretical thing to do or not. I don't care. Uh, I've started watching The Chosen on the, when I'm on the turbo. Uh, but I, I watched two episodes now, and I can hardly stop from crying. Literally can't stop crying watching The Chosen. Because, and it's, it's not, but it's because just Jesus, like even the look of him on the TV. I know it's not him, all right? Stop judging me. I know it's not actually him. But, but, but they've done it very well. And he, looks, he just looks compassionate. He just looks compassionate. I don't know how to do that, but he looks compassionate. But look at this story of the Good Samaritan. This Samaritan who hated the Jews had compassion. He cared. He saw him. He cared. Look who walked past and didn't care. The religious. Us. Jesus is saying this story for a reason. He's saying the religious people of the day. Who's the religious people of the day in this room? 
Oh, it's outside. It's us. We walk past. We see. We don't care. We walk on. We must have compassion. We must, again, just as we must ask God to give us the eyes to see, we must ask God to give us compassion for those who have need. Thirdly, we must do something about it. And this is where a lot of us, again, myself included, fail. It's not that we don't see it. It's not oftentimes that we don't feel badly about it or feel compassionate towards it. But unless we do something about it, we have not exercised biblical mercy. Haven't really done anything. I've said it, I said it a couple of weeks ago. Many people misunderstand this. They think that because they, they, they feel compassion or they have a heart for something or they, they, you know, they see a need and they, and they would, would love to do something about it and they feel really bad about it and you might even cry about it, if you're like me. You might, you might even see something on TV that will move you to tears. But unless you do something, you have not exercised biblical mercy. In Matthew chapter 14, where it says that Jesus saw the large crowd and felt compassion on them and healed their sick. The next verse says that the disciples came to him and said that it was late and that he needed to send the crowds away so that they could buy something to eat. And what's Jesus telling them? So, again, right, it's not that the disciples didn't see the need. They saw the need. They saw these large group of people. They saw that they were going to be hungry, and they needed to. And they were like, well, send them away to get something to eat. Jesus says, you feed them. You do it. That is, again, Jesus teaching his disciples these three elements of biblical mercy. See the need, have compassion on the need, do something. And maybe that is, in some way, what we're like today. And maybe you're sitting in here, maybe you're sitting in here now and you know a situation. And you've been thinking, you know what? Someone should do something. Somebody needs to do something about that need. I'm going to say, what about you do something about that need? What about I do something about that need? I don't know what your home group's like, right? I don't go around connect groups. I don't know what it's like. I'll tell you what ours is like, and they won't mind me saying this, because they know what I'm like. We're really good. Now, we're really good. I mean, like, top-notch. I mean, like, excellent. I mean, your connect group is not like us on this level. All right? Don't care. We're really good at talking. <laughs> really good at it. 
like the other night, for example, like we went off on a tangent, and it was a great tangent, but nevertheless, we went off on a tangent, and we talked about, you know, what we could do, and the needs that are out there, and the stuff that needs done. People lonely in our town. People need in our town. Stuff that needs to be done in our town. Folks, it's only a talking shop if we don't actually do something. That's all it is. That's all it is. Nonsense. If we don't actually do something. Jesus doesn't look at us and think, oh, look at them great people. Oh, my children. Aren't they great? Aren't they great to be sitting there? Aren't they great to be talking about the Bible? Aren't they great to be seeing the needs of those around them and doing scratch all about it? So if my hunger want to just condemn, you just chat to me. I'm just sorry for ripping you out. I'm not ripping you out. I'm just because we're all in it together. Aren't we all in it together? We are. Uh, but it's, it's real. Often we're really good at the first part, seeing it. We're even really good at the second part, having compassion. Do we want to do something about it? Do we want to do something? Just on a side note, not my notes. What about not expecting the church to do it either? What about you as the church? doing it. Oh, the church should be doing this. The church should be doing that. You are the church. You're the church. See the need. Have compassion. Do it. If you need help, we'll back you up. No bother. See the need, have compassion, do something. That is biblical mercy. Now, of all people in the world, of all people in the world, the Christian, the follower of Jesus, should be especially quick to show mercy. Why? Because we know that we have already received mercy. And we did not deserve it. The first part of Ephesians 2 describes how before God, or before we knew Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. It says we were by nature children of wrath. But then it goes on to say, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. And it goes on to say that, that the famous verse 8 and verse 9, by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of your works, lest any man should boast. The Bible makes it clear. God did not save us because we were good. God did not save us because we deserve it. Again, we are poor in spirit. We have nothing to bring to the table. But God being rich in mercy... Showed us grace. 
So therefore, we should be the first people on the planet to extend that mercy to others. The genuine Christian person knows this. He or she should be able to and ready to show mercy to others because God has shown mercy to them. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 18 of uh, uh, the slave. One slave owns his master an incredible sum of money and the master forgives him. And then he went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a few days wages, seized him, threw him into prison. And when he cried out for mercy, no, none. The point of that is this, to demonstrate the fact of how much mercy we have been shown and how we should show that mercy to others. It's the same with us today. If we really recognize, if you genuinely recognize that you are set free, that you're saved, not because of anything you've done, not because of your good works, not because of any goodness that you have, but only by God's grace, you will show mercy to others. Fact. Because we did not deserve it, and maybe even other people don't deserve it. But that's not our call to make. So, really this passage today has two implications for us. And, and I'm going to say one very, very quickly, and then I'll move into the second application, and then we're, we're done. But it's this. A start says, at a minimum, when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. At a minimum, what he's talking about is extending forgiveness to others. Right, Captain Obvious, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Forgive them. And can I say, don't even think about coming near the table at the end. Don't even think about it if you are not willing to extend forgiveness. It is a minimum requirement. A minimum requirement of the disciple. Because of the grace and mercy that you have been shown. So extend forgiveness to others. Quickly. The second application for us today is very, very clear. Show acts of mercy to those who are in need. We live, and I, again, I include myself in this, we live, I think, that could be wrong, we live, I, th- I think, my opinion, in the most selfish, self-satisfying, insular generation that has ever walked the face of the planet. The Christian should be able to stand out a flipping mile. But how, but how could we be? You know, evangelism, 
How can we be made known? How could everybody ever know we're Christians? It's flipping easy in this world. Show compassion. Be kind. Do acts of goodness. As I say, I think it is the most selfish, self-absorbed, insular generation that has ever walked the planet. Two applications. Forgive and forgive quickly. And I know, and I'm not saying, I'm not standing up here today and saying that's easy. Definitely not. But the gospel doesn't give us any choices. You've been forgiven. Forgive. Show, second application, show acts of mercy and kindness. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. What would be the inverse of that, or the opposite? If I flip that. Well, logically it would be, if you don't, you won't. Jesus said elsewhere, forgive or you will not be forgiven. The gospel gives us no choices. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Let me pray first. Father, we are so aware that we need your help. We are so aware that we cannot even think about doing this on our own. Even to have those eyes to see, the heart to feel, uh, and the ability to act. All of that comes from you because we're selfish. And so we need your spirit, O oh Lord, to help us. Help us, we pray. We need you desperately. In Jesus' name, amen.